Our scripture reading will come to us this morning once again from the book of Exodus, uh, starting in chapter 15, verse 22, which in the Pew Bible, if you, if you do not have one, uh, there should be one near you, page 57 is where this will pick up. I'll complete uh, 15 and 16. I'm going to go into 17, verse 7. So, all the way to there. Just give attention to God's holy word. Uh, Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And they came to Merah. They could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, And do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. And they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, 
flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? And they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. No one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. So the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And omer is the tenth of an ephah. Uh, Chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. And therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, 
taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. Water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. As was read for us, there's three stories here. But they're three very similar stories. I've preached all three in three different sets of sermons in two other churches. But as I'm moving through this whole book of Exodus, trying to finish before the second coming of the Lord, it is amazing when you read all three of these passages at once that you see things come together. There is significant struggle in the obedience and faith of the Israelites. That's something I can relate to. Firstly, I'm going to look at our struggle of obedience in the wilderness. Secondly, the provision of the Lord for us in the wilderness. And then third, answer the question, how are we going to obey in the wilderness? Reminded of a hymn that we did not sing this morning from William Cooper. It's a, a writer, a strong Christian, who lived most of his life with debilitating depression. One uh, verse from a, from a hymn. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. It's not mysterious to him, but his ways are often mysterious to us especially in a wilderness. But there is still the call of obedience and faith and trust on those who call upon His name. Our struggle of obedience in the wilderness can be seen in a couple of ways. Firstly, like these Israelites in these three different scenes, we grumble about our circumstances. Now you see that uh, in chapter 15, verses 22 through 24, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, and in chapter 17, 1 through 3, they enter into three different sets of wildernesses, which is a place where there's not a lot of wildlife. There's not a lot of running water. There's not a lot of sustenance. And they enter into three different areas of wilderness. That's a pattern, that's a theme in the entire Christian life. We see in uh, chapter 15, they running out of water. They don't have any water where they're going. That, that's a real problem. We're not wiping over the real creational problems that we have as creatures in this life. But they go to a place and they have no water to drink. You can't live very long without water. God knows this. He's our creator. But still, He's led them through this path. And this word, many a psalm reflect on these wilderness wanderings. There is a, a grumbling from the Israelites. 
Moses, we don't have any water. You must have led us here to die. Why didn't you let us die by the hand of the Lord in Egypt? In chapter 16, they get to another stage in the wilderness and they've ran out of the food that they packed before the Exodus event. And and it repeats itself. Well, we had food when we were enslaved eight days of the week. We had food. Why didn't you let us stay there? There's a grumbling against the leadership God has placed in their life. This isn't simply a a suffering of immediate injustice. Of course, they're, they're in the wilderness because of systemic injustice from the Egyptians, but God didn't lead them directly to Canaan to die in warfare. He led them into the wilderness intentionally. Test their faith. And there is simply grumbling. A lack of faith. The song that they were just singing, the song of Moses about everything that the Lord had done for them has dissipated because of their difficult circumstances. There's not a prayer. There's not a crying out necessarily. There's just empty, faithless complaining and grumbling. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8 mentions a warning for us not to harden our hearts and test the Lord like they did in the wilderness. These are professing believers, grumbling, only grumbling about their circumstances. But they're not simply grumbling just about the circumstances and just to Moses, because secondly, They and we will often grumble about and disobey the Lord Himself. This is ultimately not about the circumstances. Those are symptoms of the problem of a faithlessness. Circumstances are real in their life. We're not taking that for granted. But their grumbling is not a lament which many of the Psalms are, that are prayers or songs of faith and trust in the Lord, asking questions of the Lord in faith. These are just complaints and grumblings. The very end of chapter 17 where we just read, they're actually asking the question, is is the Lord among us? Are you kidding me? I mean, you and I will often ask that question in our own life. There's questions that I have. There's difficult circumstances, but when we start to say, well, is the Lord, does He love me anymore? Is He with me anymore? He just came out of Egypt. They will receive miraculous provisions, but they are ultimately grumbling and complaining, not about the circumstances or just to Moses, but ultimately to their Creator, to God himself and they're actually being disobedient you will see in chapter 15 uh, the kind of towards the end of verse 25 the lord made for them a statute and a rule the first time the hebrew word torah is used in the whole bible the law he's given them a law to test them and he says if you will diligently listen to the voice of the lord your god and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I won't put any of the diseases on you. There's a conditional clause there. 
Not that they're supposed to earn their salvation by obedience, but they're supposed to obey the one who has redeemed them. But you can see after chapter 15, when you read the verses in 16 and 17, as we just did, well, they failed. And then they failed again. Every time they go to a different wilderness, well, they just fail. They don't keep the commandments. They, they, they lack faith. But it's actually a disobedience in the commands of the Lord. Uh, chapter 16, there's something unique about uh, the manna and the quail. Um, I'll highlight that provision in a minute. But in chapter 16, verses 20 and 21, it records the Israelites not listening to Moses regarding not leaving some of the manna out until the next day. They leave some of it out. What happens to it? It starts to stink. His worms. They were just told not to do that. Well, they did it anyways. In chapter 16, verses 27 and 28, it records the people not listening to Moses about not going out to gather manna on the Sabbath. He says, on the sixth day, you're going to get twice as much. You're not going to have to go out and gather on the Sabbath. You're supposed to stay where you are. The Hebrew word for Sabbath just means cease. You can stop on that day. Is that what they do? Nah. But that, why? They don't trust the Lord. I don't think he's going to give me enough. I don't pay attention to what his commandments are for my life, according to chapter 15. I want to obey my own commandments. I need to go out on the Sabbath and and just to make sure, because I don't think he's given me enough on the sixth day, which is exactly what happens in the Garden of Eden. Satan tempts Eve, twists the very word of our gracious Heavenly Father, and says, well, did He really say? He really say not to eat that? Maybe He's hiding something from you. Maybe He's not giving you everything that you need. Maybe you need to follow your own heart and not His commandments. The seed of doubt of the goodness of the Lord that was sown in the hearts of Adam and Eve are being sown here in the hearts of these sinners to say, I need to collect more than he told me to today. I I need to leave some of it out just to test him to see if it's actually going to stink in the morning. I need to collect on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath, because I don't trust him. I don't think he's given me enough. I don't think he cares. I don't think he's with us. Because my circumstances are out of my control, I don't trust the Lord. And that's sin. In Psalm 51, King David says, Against you, you only, have I sinned. Of course, he doesn't mean that he did not sin against Bathsheba by committing adultery or against her by having her husband murdered, Uriah. But primarily, we're to follow the commandments of the Lord. And when we sin against one another, we're sinning against the Lord. This is about obedience. In the wilderness, where we all are. So the question for us this morning, 
where are we not trusting the Lord? In our struggle in the wilderness. This is not about making light of the struggle. These people don't have water. They don't have food. But where's the faith? Well, it's in themselves. It's in their circumstances. God only loves me if I'm not in a wilderness. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's something that we as American 21st century Christians must come to deal with and possibly ask our Peruvian and Chinese Christians to help us with. But thanks be to God, there is an amazing provision of the Lord for us in the wilderness, even for us sinners, like the Israelites. There are supernatural provisions and natural provisions. Uh, The supernatural provisions, they're easy to see. Chapter 15, verse 25, no water, uh, it's, it's bitter and undrinkable. So the Lord tells Moses, take a log, uh, throw it in the water, and it'll become sweet, and you can drink it, and that's what happens. He gives them water. What type of log was it? Could that be somewhat explained? Of the miracles, maybe this could be explained somewhat, but I think it's supernatural. Uh, in chapter 17, we have something similar. There, there, there's no water. In verses 5 through 6, God stands on the rock, Moses strikes the rock, and the water comes out. I think that's probably supernatural. How does water come out of a rock? Only by the Lord. He answers their grumbles in His patience, in His mercy, in His forbearance of us. He provides everything that we need. In the chapter on The manna, this is where I think we see some of the most supernatural. Uh, I'm no hunter. I know you probably already know that. I don't hunt. I don't golf. I don't even know why I live in Mississippi. I've I've heard of of quail. Uh, That's that's natural. Manna, I'm not sure what that is. We have a description uh, towards the end of chapter 16. What's supernatural is the fact that it, it answers God's call. Well, you're going to have just as much as you need, and you will lack nothing. And there will be twice as much that come down on the sixth day, and none of it will come on the seventh. That's not natural. It is truly, as one commentator said, bread from heaven. He provides everything that we need when we need it. Not necessarily on our time frame and in the manner that we would expect, but He gives us supernatural provisions. Obviously, the Scriptures are replete with how all of this is answered in the Lord Jesus. Every time Jesus in the Gospels feeds the 4,000 or the 5,000, which is just the counting of the men, There were many thousands more people gathered on those days. What are they reflecting back on? Well, in John chapter 6, it literally reflects back on this, that Jesus himself is the bread of life. That's the ultimate supernatural provision that you will ever need. You don't need a certain job. You don't need a certain income. You don't need a certain relationship. 
You don't need to live in a certain place. You need the bread of life, which will sustain you for eternity, which we've been given because of Jesus' death and resurrection for the sake of grumblers. Faithless people whom he chose to die for. The Gospels are clear. Jesus is the bread of heaven. Nothing else. Chapters 4 and 7 of the Gospel of John make reference to Jesus giving us his spirit, the living waters. Your soul does not ultimately thirst and hunger for anything other than your Savior. And will never be satisfied fully and eternally apart from Him. That's why He's led these Israelites into the wilderness. Not to torture them, to show them who He is. Remind them He's their Redeemer. He says in these verses, I want you to know that I'm the one who took you out of Egypt. How are you going to know? I'm going to strike a rock and you're going to be reminded of who I am again. I'm going to rain bread from heaven and quail from heaven. You're going to be reminded again of who I am. I can turn bitter water into sustaining living waters because that's who I am. Christ is the hidden manna in Revelation 2.17. All who thirst will ultimately be satisfied. Revelation 21.6. The waters that will flow from the mountains and the new heavens and the new earth will heal the nations in Revelation 22. And Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 8 that he reflects on the lack of generosity of the Corinthian church and their lack of understanding in the gospel. And he will quote from Exodus 15, whoever, Exodus 16, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. And then he will say, because though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Talking about the Lord Jesus. But I also want to reflect on the ordinary provisions. There is one very ordinary provision that you and I can immediately relate to in chapter 16. Amidst all of this uh, incredible supernatural provision, if you look at chapter 16, verses 29 through 30, it says, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, He gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the Sabbath. That is an ordinary provision that was given before the fall in the days of creation. That was given as a reminder here weekly that manna will not fall on the seventh day. This is before the Ten Commandments. Are given. This is rooted in all of creation. This is how we were made. That there is a Sabbath that's even enforced today. How is it enforced today? Well, John chapter 20, verse 1 says the resurrection occurred on the first day of the week. The Jewish Sabbath on Saturday has become the Christian Lord's Day on Sunday, but it's still in force. People debate this. 
our Westminster standards do not debate it. Isaiah 58 is very clear that we shouldn't do whatever we want on the Lord's day. Exodus, we're going to get at this again in chapter 31, chapter 35, Leviticus 16. Very important that people keep the Sabbath in Old Testament Israel. But the Ten Commandments are still in force. This is the fourth commandment. I won't say everything I want to say about it this morning because I'll take a week per commandment starting in January after an Advent break. But why would we not want that? Our culture hates this. It's a day of productivity that you miss. It's a day of earning income that you're missing out on. Of course, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Our standards talk about works of uh, mercy and necessity. If you work in a hospital, if you work for Entergy, please would you go to work on Sunday? That's a work of mercy or necessity. But the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, is very clear. This is a reminder. They are to keep the manna as a reminder of God's provision for them, which we ultimately see in the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ. What do you think we do here every day, every Sunday? It's a reminder that the word Sabbath means to stop, to cease. Your identity doesn't have to be in your extracurricular activities. It doesn't have to be in your work, in your productivity. Your identity is in Christ, who says, come to me on the seventh day. Bring your burdens, though you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest in the gospel. Rest in your true identity. Rest in your eternal future. Rest from all of these other things that you can't control, that you have anxiety about. Put it out of your mind. Focus on the Lord the whole day. For people who were enslaved for generations and given no day off, how is this not anything but an eternal blessing? But in their disobedience, they say, no, I want to go out to work. He told me not to. He told me he'll give me enough food. I don't trust him. But this is something that we must wrestle with as the New Testament church. But an opportunity is before us to worship and rest all the day. Yes, Sunday school. Yes, small groups. Yes, any other kind of church activity. But worship and rest all the day as best we can away from extracurriculars, from from things that distract us from the gospel. We could say, no, this is my true identity. And of course, we can expect to be persecuted for these things. But Jesus, who is our Sabbath, did these things himself in his earthly ministry. Son of God. And God the Father says, rest. But finally, how is it that we're going to actually obey any of this in the wilderness, in our struggles, in our sin? Uh, A very quick phrase in verses 7 and 10 of chapter 16, talks about God's glory. This has not uh, been used before in this book. 
the glory of the Lord. It refers to God's glory. And the word glory, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, mentions a a weightiness, a worthiness, a value. God is saying, when you see these things happen, you are to behold my glory. Behold who I am. Behold how worthy I am. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, we have light, momentary sufferings preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. There's a weightiness to the Lord that they're supposed to behold in the midst of their busyness, their anxiety, their desire to be self-sufficient their lack of trust. God has said, behold who I am. I'm more valuable than all those things. That's the only way they're going to redirect their disobedience to obedience is to behold who He is that's commanding them to do these things. And again, we ultimately see His glory in the person of Jesus who in Matthew chapter 4 actually went into a wilderness Himself, tempted by Satan Himself. But where Israel failed, He obeyed. Quoting Deuteronomy 8, that man does not live by bread alone, but by the Word of God. So it is true of us that as we behold His glory of who He is And what He has done for us, especially in the Lord Jesus, the manifestation of the pillar of fire and the cloud, our hearts will change to obedience, regardless of our circumstances. So therefore, we will finally live in faithful, trusting obedience. You see that, again, in chapter 16, verses 29 and 30, where the people actually rest. And they obey because they've beheld God's glory, His value, His worth that was given up by the second person of the Trinity on the cross. That by His poverty, we might become rich. And that we might take the Lord's Day as an opportunity to remember those things. To be with God's people. To worship Him for who He is. What He has done for us. That's the only way we're going to be able to walk out of here in faith and trust back into the wilderness. And join William Cooper who in his battles with depression, again said, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. The greatest wonder would be that God would use word, prayer, and sacrament to increase our weak faith in our Redeemer. May he do so. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we think about these passages. We see ourselves in the grumbling We see ourselves in a wilderness, but Lord Jesus, may we see the water and the manna that you have manifested in our life, that we have been given salvation by faith, that we have been given the hope of the resurrection, that you will provide for us all of our needs eternally. You already have, Lord Jesus. 
May we set aside a day for you. May we worship you in spirit and truth. May our whole lives be turned in faithful, trusting obedience to you away from the difficult circumstances of this life, knowing that you may sometimes place them in our life to teach us that those are idols that we've been clinging to, that we must cling to your cross, Jesus, for there it is empty because you will come again one day to bring us into your glorious presence. Give us faith. Until that day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.